The following is a hoop ball presentation. Hello and welcome back to the Sports Ethos Atlanta Hawks Team Coverage Podcast, formerly known as Hoop Ball Hawks. We cover everything regarding the Atlanta Hawks. I'm your host, Brad Harden, recording live from Atlanta, Georgia, recording this on Monday, November 21st. I apologize for the hiatus from the program. I was out of town um, dealing with some things, but I am back in the fold. And trust me, I did keep an eye out on your Atlanta Hawks. So this episode will be kind of a, and no pun intended, Bird's eye view over the last four games. Since we last recorded, the Hawks are two and two, which hindsight is not terrible when you look at the teams they played. The two losses were bad losses, how they played, and the two wins were really good wins. And even no matter how you feel about this team, no matter how you feel about the trade rumors that continue to go on with John Collins, which we'll talk about on this program, the lack of three-point shooting, the missed opportunities getting themselves to the free-throw line as a team. No matter how much you nitpick this team, the Hawks are still 10-6, and six, third in the Eastern Conference. And right now, I mean, because... When you look at the Eastern Conference standings right now, between third place where the Hawks are and eighth place where the Philadelphia 76ers are, only two games separate three through eight right now. And then if you're looking further down, only four games separate third from 12th in the Eastern Conference. So this is a log jam. So, yes, you want to win every game. Is it possible in the NBA? No. Is it possible to play hard every single night in the NBA? No. It's not. I mean, we have to be realistic. This schedule is a grind. 82 games and all the travel that these players have to go through on top of, you know, treatment and film and training, practice, dealing with life. This is a grind. And there's going to be good nights and there's going to be bad nights. So fans don't want to hear that. They see it as an excuse, but it's just the reality. And even though some people who I talk to in my personal life say, I don't watch NBA basketball before December or I wait till football is over to watch the NBA, I get it. This is one of the best times to be watching sports right now. You have the NFL, college football's in full swing. The NBA is back. NHL is here. Now you have the World Cup in Qatar right now. This is one of the best times to be a sports fan. And there's a lot of sports out there for people to consume. So what the Hawks are doing may slide under the cracks. But the reality is with how logjam the Eastern Conference is, These games matter in October and November. I said that before the season started. 
I knew it was going to be a grind this year as far as in the Eastern Conference. So you have to bring it every single night and you have to look at these games one at a time and go out there and put your best effort forward because it's going to make things a whole lot easier getting wins in October, November, and December and then fast forwarding to March and April when you're down the stretch and you remember those wins that you accumulated against the Bucks to win the season series in November. You remember this overtime win over the Raptors to split the season series right now and then you have a game three in Toronto later on this season. You're going to remember splitting the home and away series for the 76ers and the 76ers not having James Harden and thinking, damn, we should have got that one in Philadelphia. We should have got that one. And you're going to remember the performance on national television versus the Boston Celtics where they hit 21 three-pointers, and it might have been more than that, 20-plus uh, three-pointers, and you just get routed at home in in a contest that you're playing the Celtics at home. You have to win that one. You have to protect home court, and you must certainly have to put on a better performance on national television after the string of games they had last year where they were very underwhelming on ESPN and ABC games. You have to do that because when you're in the playoffs, you're going to be on national television. You're going to have to put your best foot forward because a lot of people still don't think this Hawks team is real. And this Cleveland Cavaliers team that we're playing today, even though they have been on a slight skid and they have not been playing their best ball down the stretch. I mean, they're five and five in the last 10 games. They were on a pretty lengthy losing streak before winning two in a row. Cause they started off eight and one lost five straight to be eight and six and then won two straight to make it 10 and six. So now, they have the same record as your Atlanta Hawks. And that's who you play tonight on the road, which is going to be a monster battle, monster battle up in Cleveland. I mean, and just looking ahead to tonight, the only person on the injury report for the Hawks is Bogdanovich. And then you look on the other side, Kevin Love and Karis Laverta both day to day. And obviously, as we go through the day, I'm recording this here in the morning. We will check the injury report there to see if Karis LeVert and Kevin Love will be available for the Cleveland Cavaliers. And Karis LeVert has had a solid year, uh, averaging just under 12 points, four and a half rebounds, and just under five assists a game. So really has been playing very well um, for the Cleveland Cavaliers. He's dealing with an ankle injury. And then when you look at Kevin Love, he is just considered day-to-day in I want to say it was a a thumb, a thumb injury for Kevin Love that is bothering him. And obviously, he's just a consummate professional and he plays well off the bench for Cleveland. So obviously, you, you don't like seeing people injured, but that does bode slightly well for the Hawks. But there's still a two and a half point underdog on the road versus Cleveland, who a lot of people are salivating over and overlooking your Atlanta Hawks. And why did they overlook your Atlanta Hawks? Because 
I mean, consistency at this point. You have to be consistent, and it's not going to happen within the first 16 games of the season. We're getting close to knowing what this team is and who they are and their identity. We still need Bogey back, which is still a piece that a lot of people are hoping that could change, especially some of the three-point shooting woes and add a couple more free-throw attempts per game for the Atlanta Hawks because when you look at the stats, the Hawks are near the bottom in those two categories in the NBA, and I will actually have that number right in front of me here shortly. So when you're looking at your Atlanta Hawks right now, they are 23rd in the NBA in free throw attempts per game. That's points you're missing out of. And a lot of people are focused on three-pointers, three-pointers, three-pointers just because of where we are in the NBA. But free throws are free. (laughs) You got to force the issue and be aggressive, attack the rim, and try to get some fouls called to get you to the free throw line to get you some free opportunity at some points. I mean, a lot of people criticize James Harden when he was in Houston for always getting to the free throw line, but that's why he was scoring all those points and helping his team win. That's why Houston was consistently a top five, six team in the Western Conference when James Harden was in Houston because he was just a scoring machine enforcing the issue, being aggressive and getting to the free throw line. Now, was he flailing and creating contact and doing some acting? Yes, but fouls are hard to come by as you see. <laughs> fouls called for the Atlanta Hawks to get them to the free throw line. So you're going to have to do something. And maybe they need to take some acting lessons from James Harden. I know he's healing, but maybe he can do a Skype or Zoom meeting or something. But those are missed opportunities right there for the Atlanta Hawks. And then, obviously, because everybody is enamored by the three ball now, thanks to Steph Curry, Klay Thompson, and just how the NBA has changed, they're harping over three-pointers made per game and three-pointers attempt per game, both last in the NBA and The Hawks are 27th in three-point shooting percentage. I said when the season started that the Hawks will not be a great three-point shooting team. They're not going to be. Will it get better when Bogey's there? Yes. Will that help with some spacing and maybe give some cleaner looks and some catch-and-shoot opportunities and not some on-the-run shooting opportunities for like a Justin Holiday? Yes, because I think Justin Holiday is better at catch-and-shoot than catching the ball and then running to a spot and then shooting. I think he needs to be more stationary when shooting the three ball. Cause I want to say when shooting the three ball and catch and shoot opportunities in a career, he's a 38% three point shooter, which is definitely higher than the team percentage right now. So there are little nuances. I mean, as AJ Griffin continues to get into a rhythm, I think as Trey young continues to get into a rhythm, their three-point shooting percentage has an opportunity to continue to go up as they build continuity, but certainly it's something that has to get slightly better. Um, it can't get exponentially better, in my opinion, without making some trades. And in the last couple of years, the best three-point shooter on the team, or one of the best, has been John Collins. 
But I think the volume at which we are turning John Collins into a catch-and-shoot player is making him less effective from the three-point line. When he shoots three, four, five threes tops, he is much more efficient. But there are too many games this year when John Collins is shooting six, seven, eight three-pointers. That's not John Collins' game. And we should not be forcing him to play that type of game. Um, When people have text me and say, is John Collins bad? Is John Collins bad? No, John Collins is still a really good player in the NBA. He's definitely above average. And when giving the ball in the spots where he is effective, getting the ball at the top of the key and letting him put the ball on the floor and finish at the rim, it's almost automatic this year when he does that. When he gets the ball in the mid-range and has a mismatch and shoots a, shoots a mid-range jumper, it's almost automatic. We are just not giving John Collins the ball in spots where he is the most effective. Just making him a catch-and-shoot guy is not the best utilization for him, which is why people say, oh, he's bad this year. He's not bad. We are just misusing him, which we have been misusing him for the last three seasons. Since I've covered this team, let's just be real. We are not utilizing him well. And that's why I'm not surprised that trade rumors continue to come up regarding John Collins and his team taking calls for him. Maybe they want someone that's going to be more in a catch and shoot role that is more effective in that role that can help this team. I don't blame the Hawks for making that decision, especially if they can get return value for a John Collins. Do I love that they continue to put him on a trading block? No, I hate that for him. And this is not something that has been said publicly or a story about this. I don't know how great of a relationship Trey Young and John Collins have. I'm just going to be frank. I mean, it's probably a working professional relationship, but that doesn't mean you particularly like that person. I remember the story by Kirshner uh, from The Athletic, who used to cover the team last year, about the film session where reportedly John Collins and Trey Young got into each other and Trey Young didn't receive the criticism well. And, and I'm not saying that star players need to do this, and I'm not criticizing Trey Young. We know that being a vocal leader is something that he's continuing to work on and communication is something he's continuing to work on. So I respect that and we have to give him some slack to continue to work on that, which is why we have DeJounte Murray, who is a little bit more vocal. And you can kind of see the chemistry between DeJounte and Trey and sorry, and John Collins looks pretty good from afar. But if you're the franchise player, and you have a talent in John Collins, and you know what he brings, and you have a good working relationship, and you like the guy, you like him as a teammate, wouldn't you be a little bit more vocal about, hey, I want to keep this guy? I'm just saying. I'm just saying. It, it just it, It's something that just dawned on me over the last week, being away, watching his team, then the trade rumors come out for John Collins. Wouldn't you think that he would speak up in behalf of 
John Collins to say, hey, we need him here if he thought that. I'm not trying to create a story that's not there, but it's just an observation. And that's something that may come out once he's traded, maybe comes out in the offseason, or if there is someone who has the the access to Trey Young to get that information from him and it comes out, maybe there's something there. But I just think that at this point, if we're and I've said this multiple times, it's a broken record on this program, so I hope I don't have to address this again, even though I think I will. If you're not going to utilize John Collins effectively, you have to let him go. You have to let him go. It's not fair to him. It's not helping his team. We're not getting the best out of him because how we are using him. Even though he has worked on his three-point shot and gotten better over the years, being around a 39% three-point shooter career, in, in the, it's, it's around that area. He should not be shooting seven, eight threes a game. There's no excuse not to give him the ball in spots where he is effective at. He has been playing much better on the defensive end this year than people have given him credit for. He has been rebounding at a high clip this year. He has done whatever this team needed to do, needs in order to win, win games. He has done whatever is asked of him. And he is a great teammate. Now, behind the scenes... He could be frustrated, could be causing a ruckus. We don't know. Those stories have not come out. I don't see him as that type of person. But but certainly if there is value for him that can help improve this Hawks team for this year and beyond, then I say go for it. I do not want this to be a salary dump. I know Jay Crowder continues to be connected to Atlanta because of his roots. I don't want a Dre Crowder personally who's only going to be here one to two years, has an inflated contract, and I mean he's an aging vet. He's experienced. He's played in some big games, especially in the playoffs, and been in the finals, I want to say. I don't think he has been in the finals. I have to go back and look. But I don't want this to be a salary dump. I've heard connections to Sacramento and Phoenix. I haven't heard of any other teams come up as preliminary conversations. A trade can't be made until December anyway. So at this point, this is going to be conversations and rumors at this point. There's no concrete news that is out there right now. But I don't necessarily think a salary dump for Jay Crowder is needed. You're losing front court depth. Let's just be real. A lot of people want Okongu to play. He's been playing great. I love how both him and Capella have been playing lately. I mean, that is something that I have noticed. They're both getting close to the same amount of minutes and both being effective when in, especially rebounding the ball, playing defense, protecting the rim. They have both been playing very, very well. But... John Collins helps with his rebounding, his spacing, and athleticism, and rim running, and his improved defense. When making a trade, it depends on the mindset for the Hawks. If it's a salary dump, I understand because of the luxury tax, but I don't think it necessarily makes your team better unless you get certain t 
types of players. A 3 and D. A true 3 and D. And is Jay Crowder a 3 and D? He's an aging 3 and D that is basically his timeline doesn't match the rest of the team and puts you in an interesting position. But maybe they're trying to go after a bigger fish in a year or two, um, however long Jay Crowder's contract is. I don't know. I don't know the mindset of the Hawks right now. Are you actually trying to make a trade to get better and improve spacing and improve three-point shooting in defense? Even though right now, 16 games to the season, your Hawks are top 10 in defensive efficiency in the NBA. Offensively, they're down, but they're going to get better as chemistry continues to develop and then you get bogey and so forth. So I'm not worried about them offensively. The improvement defensively is there, even though the consistency is still something that's a work in progress. Those are the only moves that need to be made, in my opinion. So that's my piece on John Collins. It's a rumor. It is a constant story. There's no true news, but I feel like I had to address it now and then as rumors come we'll, we'll we'll talk about it on this program and then it will be a non-story until it becomes a story and a trade actually happens it's just been a lot of smoke there may have been some fire behind the scenes as far as phone calls and actual interest but at this point it's just smoke over this team that is not really needed in this in my opinion there's something I wish that was kept behind closed door, but it is what it is. The NBA does not go without the dramatics. And so that's it. We're going to take a quick break and then we're going to come back. Bird's eye view over the last four games leading into tonight. So stick with us after this quick plug. Okay, listeners, it's time to talk a little fantasy hoops. Now, I don't know about you. I'm in several fantasy leagues, and every fantasy league that you are in, you have a rival. Pokemon, Ash Ketchum had Gary, and I know you have your Gary out there. So it's time to beat Gary and get the insight that you need to take your stuff to the next level and win a fantasy basketball championship. Do you remember who led you to Tyrese Halliburton, DeJounte Murray, Terry Rozier, and Mikhail Bridges? Before any other rank list, I know which one, it's the Brewskies 150. And you probably turn those huge wins into some cash or a fantasy basketball championship. This year, the Brewski 150 is on sale for a limited time. And Ethos 360 subscribers can get access in less than a week. Head to sportsethos.com. And click on the premium tab to grab membership information or the draft guide today. And yes, to answer your most important question, the Brewski 150 is included in both options. Check back daily for more new features and go dominate your leagues. Beat Gary with the help of Sports Ethos. All right, and we are back. As I said, I was on a slight hiatus this week with some things going on personally, but I am back. And like I said, 
in my absence, the Hawks have gone two and two. They beat the 76ers at home last Thursday, travel up to Philadelphia to take on the 76ers in Philly. And Philly came out swinging. We knew they would after how they lost Thursday night here in Atlanta. But the Hawks did not help themselves. 19 turnovers. They shot bad from three-point line. Surprise, surprise. They allowed Philadelphia to shoot 55% from the floor. And Bede went crazy. 42 points. And he had a really good game the game prior. But this time he had help. He really didn't have any help when they beat the 76ers last Thursday in Atlanta. But this game, he had some help. He had two other players score over 20 points. Tobias Harris with 21 points, six rebounds, two assists, two steals. And then you had Ty Tyrese Maxey, who had a pretty poor shooting game in Atlanta, come back and rebound with 26 points, nine assists there. Shake Milton off the bench with 11. But that big three stepped up. And they just shot well from the floor as a team. As I said, 55% for the 76ers. Uh, Trey Young. I mean, it was a game where Philadelphia hit them in the mouth early. They were down by 13 after the first quarter. And they continually outscored them until the fourth quarter. They tried to creep back in at times. But it was just too much. Too much Philadelphia. Trey Young did not have a bad game. He got 12 free throw attempts, a little bit more efficient from the floor, 8 of 18 from the floor, 2 of 7 from 3, had 27 points, 11 assists, but 7 turnovers. Murray added 23 points, 8 rebounds, 7 assists, 2 steals. You had 15 and 14 from Capella, 15 points from DeAndre Hunter, who I'm going to talk about a little bit uh, later. John Collins only had 6 field goal attempts. Six points, six rebounds, one block. Off the bench, you had Kaminsky with six in 13 minutes. A.J. Griffin with nine points off the bench. We're going to talk a little bit more about him. Jan Johnson with four that game. And then Aaron Holiday with five points that game. And 109 points scored. That's great. You have some people who did not perform terribly, but... When you give up, when you when you give up, you know, 121 points, the other team is shooting 55 percent from the floor. You are setting yourself up for failure. I mean, you move the ball around, not as great as I'd like, but 20 team assist. But here's the killer. 19 turnovers and Philly scored 34 points off those turnovers. That's the ball game right there. That's the ball game. Turnovers. The Hawks are still in the top three as far as fewest turnovers per game in the NBA. But certainly when they get down and other teams hit them in the mouth and they start pressing, especially Trey Young, when distributing the ball and, and he's creating a lot of turnovers for his team, it just puts the Hawks in a bad position. So you just have to come out and respond better. And hey, I knew the 76ers were going to come out like this especially how they lost the game prior to the Hawks. You knew that it was going to be tough going up to Philadelphia and beating this team who was going to want some revenge. And that's what happened. That's what happened. Um, 
So that was a tough one. But you know what? You're like, hey, it is what it is. Then you go on and take on a a Bucks team who has some injuries to deal with. But this was big because this was the last time the Hawks were going to see the Bucks all year. And if they had won on the road against Milwaukee, they were going to win the season series two to one and would not see them into a potential playoff matchup. And that's what happened. The Hawks came out and responded a lot better, played great team basketball, even shot distribution. They rebounded as a team. They competed. And it was just a stark contrast from the night prior against the Philadelphia 76ers. And you win 121-106 against the Bucks. Did the Bucks have everybody healthy? No. But, hey, you're going to take it. You're going to take that. That is, the Bucks are the second-place team. They're right above you in the standings in the Eastern Conference. You're going to take that win. You're going to take that win. I mean, you held them. They played really solid team defense. Held the Bucks to under 42% shooting from the floor and 20% from three. On the flip side, the Hawks shoot just under 48% from the floor, which is pretty good, and 35% from three, which is above their season average. You're going to take that. You competed on an offensive glass, only out-rebounded by one um, in total, but then you won the offensive rebounds 13-11. to 11. Move the ball around 23, team assists, turnovers only nine this game. So you took care of the ball. You forced 17 turnovers from the Bucks. played solid defense. And that is your difference. They just took care of the ball and played better defense, unlike they did against the Philadelphia 76ers. I mean, it was just great team basketball for them to get that dub and clinch the season series versus the Milwaukee Bucks. I mean, just a great win. Just a great win. Like I said, they did not have Drew Holiday playing, and obviously Middleton was out, but you still have to deal with Giannis. Brooke Lopez loves playing against the Atlanta Hawks, and so does Bobby Portis. And they normally have really good games against the Hawks. And Giannis did his thing with 27, eight rebounds, four assists, and one steal. And he had 18 free throw attempts, which they just love getting him to the free throw line. Uh, Brooke Lopez had 12, so definitely not close to 30 like in the first matchup against the Hawks. Javon Carter gave him 12.6 assists, two steals, and one block. Uh, the rookie, uh, Bocamp, gave him 20 points, eight rebounds, and, and uh, one assist in a start, which was a really good game and a really good surprise from the rookie. He is really talented, so excited to see his development for the Bucks. Bobby Portis with 14 points off the bench and 10 rebounds, and then on the flip side, Hawks played well as a team. All the uh, starters had double-digit points. John Collins had 15 field goal attempts. Ooh, 15. Interesting right there. And what? And how did he play? Pretty well. 16 points, 9 rebounds, 1 steal, 1 block, plus 13, plus minus. Interesting when you give John Collins the ball. Um. And he gets his opportunities, and he's not shooting more than five threes. He had five three-point attempts that game, only made one. But that's the max he needs to shoot, in my opinion. But you give him the ball, good things happen. 
But that's just me. That's just me. The third scoring option for the Hawks this year truly has been DeAndre Hunter. He had a really good game against the Bucks. 24 points, 6 of 15 from the floor, 2 of 3 from 3, had 10 free throw attempts. I loved his aggressiveness, getting himself to the free throw line. That's something we need more of from DeAndre Hunter, especially if he's going to be our third option. I want you to shoot in the mid-range, take three to four three-point attempts, you know, rebound the ball, play defense, but get to the free throw line. Like I said, if DeAndre Hunter is going to be your third option, which he has been this year so far with Bogey being out, in third option offensively, let me rephrase, you're going to need him to be aggressive and take his opportunities in the mid-range. And that's what we saw against the Milwaukee Bucks. I love seeing that. Capella continues to play well. 19 points, 10 rebounds, 2 assists, 2 blocks, plus 14 in the plus-minus. Trey Young, 21 points, 9 assists, 3 rebounds, only 2 turnovers. Much better game as far as taking care of the ball from Trey Young. He shot 7-19 from the floor, 2-5 of five from 3. Only had 5 free throw attempts, but hit all 5 of them. And then Jante Murray, 19 points, 8 rebounds, 5 assists, 6 of 14 from the floor, 1 of 4 from 3. 7 free throw attempts, which is a little higher than Murray uh, normally gets, and made 6 of them. Murray, Hunter, and Young need to be getting to the free throw line a lot more, in my opinion. And then John Collins, if you give him the ball, has to put the ball on the floor and force the issue and get fouled because he is, I want to say, Definitely close to 90% as far as as a free throw shooter, which let me actually look now so I give you guys the correct information. This year, John Collins is shooting 92% from the free throw line. 92%. You, as I talked about, you're missing out on three points not getting to the free throw line. When you're shooting 92% as John Collins is right now, you need to get to the free throw line. DeAndre Hunter is an 80% free throw shooter. you got to get to the free throw line. Murray and Young, I may say no more. You just have to be more aggressive as a team and force yourself to the free throw line. That's something that they have to do if you're not going to be as great as a three-point shooting team. But great team win. Uh, Congo off the bench that game, six points, five rebounds. Seven points for A.J. Griffin off the bench, who's been playing very well and continuing to get more and more minutes. Jalen Johnson with five points that game, and Aaron Holiday with four points that game. That was a really good win, and then they followed up with a blah performance where they just got blitzed by the Boston Celtics. I mean, like I said, they shot and made an absurd number of threes. They made 21 threes on Wednesday night in Atlanta on ESPN, and just routed the Hawks. 21 of 46, shot 45.7% from three. If you're allowing a team to shoot north of 40% from three, your chances of winning definitely goes down, but north of 45%, you're probably going to lose that game unless you match that. And obviously, the Hawks did not match that. As a team, and here's the thing, they let Philadelphia and Boston shoot over 50% 50% from the floor and the Hawks lose. And then on top of that, I mean, let's be real. Boston was on a seven-game winning streak coming into that game. So they were just hot, 
hot and playing well. Whereas, as you saw, Hawks win a couple, lose one. Win one, lose one. Not as consistent as a team and not playing as well as a team in the Boston Celtics are playing right now. And that's why Boston Celtics are number one in the Eastern Conference right now. They're one of the best offensive teams in the league. And then they had their best defensive performance on Wednesday night against the Atlanta Hawks. That's just going to be tough sledding for anyone to go against. So there were some people talking about, hey, that performance against them was embarrassing, despicable, whatever adjective you wanted to use as far as for the Atlanta Hawks and how they played against the Celtics. The Celtics just played great, and you just have to tip your cap to them. You have to tip your cap to them. I mean, you made an absurd number of threes. You shot well from the floor. They moved the ball around, 29 team assists as a team, so great team basketball. They still committed 15 turnovers and won by 15 points. Hold on, hold on, wait, no, actually wrong, 25 points. You win by 25 points while still committing 15 turnovers. The Hawks took care of the ball. The Hawks played better in the paint. They didn't foul as much. They were close in the rebounding margin. That The threes and then the, and the defense that they played as far as the Boston Celtics, that was the difference in the game. I mean, you have to tip your cap to the Boston Celtics. Do you like having those performances, especially at home if you're the Atlanta Hawks? Hell no. You don't want that. But you got to give credit where credit's due. I mean, the Celtics had seven players score over over 10 points. It was even scoring. Tatum had 18. Brown had 22. Derek White had 16. Grant Williams had 18. Hauser off the bench had five three-pointers, 15 points. Cornette had 15 points. Pritchard had 14 points. They played really good team basketball, unlike the Hawks. And it is what it is. It is what it is. The Hawks only had four players in double digits. Um, Collins with 12. Hunter with 13. Didn't shoot well from the floor. Young with 27 points, but on 23 field goal attempts. DeJounte Murray with 19 points on 17 field goal attempts. They didn't turn the ball over a ton between the two guards, which is good. They both had 14 assists combined, which is good. But they just got beat by a team that has been playing really good team basketball. And like I said, they had their best defensive performance outside of shooting just an absurd number of threes and making them. So I'm going to, I hate losing that game at home, but I'm just going to throw that game out. And then they end the week against the Raptors who were undermanned. You just got embarrassed at home on national television if you're the Hawks. And you have to come out and you and that's a must win. You got blitzed by Toronto about three weeks ago. You only played Toronto three times. So this was a must win. And Toronto came out and played hard. They did. You had to fight that game. And I love the fight that the Hawks brought to the Raptors. They had to fight. I mean, Scotty Barnes, 28 points. He's had two really good games against the Hawks this year. You you had Van Van Fleet back. I mean, obviously, you know, no Siakam, no Gary Trent, no Boucher. A lot of people out. You have people who normally do not play 
take advantage of the opportunity. I mean, <laughs> you have Malachi Flynn, who does not play hardly for the Raptors, score 17 points off the bench. He had a really good game. Van Fleet only had 15 points. He did not shoot well at all from the floor. Four of 18, and then one of 11 from three. OG Ananobi, who's been playing very well since the Yakums be out, had 27 points. And then Thaddeus Young, who got to start, 18 points. Like I said, the Hawks had to fight. They had people who don't normally get opportunities for the Raptors, seize the opportunity and play really hard. And, you know, watching that game, you're like, oh, crap. Here come the Hawks about to lose a game that they need to win. And they found a way to win, even battling adversity. John Collins fouls out. Nine points, 11 rebounds, four assists, one steal. He fouled out the game. DeAndre Hunter, who's been, like I said, a great third option, 22 points. He had a really slow start to the game, but had a really great second half. Had 14 free throw attempts. Ironically, the two games they win, DeAndre Hunter had north of 10 free throw attempts. There's something there. Capella played well, 18 points, 14 rebounds, three blocks. Trey Young, 33 points, 12 assists, three rebounds, one block, one steal. Only two turnovers. Low turnovers for Trey Young. Hawks win. Hmm. Pattern. De uh, DeJounte Murray, 17 points, 7 rebounds, 4 assists, 2 steals. A.J. Griffin had his second best game as a rookie, hitting the game-winning shot in overtime and scored 17 points. He was 8 of 15 from the floor, 1 of 6 from 3, but added 5 rebounds, 1 steal, 1 block. A Congo with 3 points off the bench and Justin Holiday with 5 points off the bench, but... You had to scratch and claw. You were in a battle. And you found a way to win in overtime. Yes, the Raptors were undermanned. The Hawks should have won that game. But you'll take it how you get it. And it's crazy. A.J. Griffin played 30 minutes in that game versus the Raptors. When John Collins fouled out, they didn't put Justin Holiday in. They put in A.J. Griffin which shows that the confidence in A.J. Griffin is growing as far as A.J. Uh, Nate McMillan and how he feels about playing A.J. Griffin. He is playing more like a veteran than a rookie. Yes, there's going to be things that he has to continue to work on, and I'm sure you know playing his dad's team where he coaches was added motivation for A.J. Griffin, but at the same time, He's been playing much better and getting a lot more minutes than Justin Holiday, which is something. That's really something. And I said a few programs uh, back, the key for A.J. Griffin to get on the court is for Justin Holiday's play to not be as great. And certainly that's what we've been seeing. And it's been paying off well for the Hawks. But as you saw, it was a team effort they had to fight they had to claw they had to get to the free throw line which they did get to the free throw line 32 times as a team against the raptors that's a key right there because hey they only shot 28 percent from three but when you get 32 free throw attempts that's going to help your team 
get some easy baskets. So one thing that I want to say before I finish up this program and finish up these uh, stats, just because we're not shooting well from three doesn't mean we're going to be a bad team. We're still 10 and six and third in the Eastern Conference right now going into a, a big matchup versus Cleveland tonight. If you're not going to be making threes, you have to be aggressive and get to the free throw line. In the games that the Hawks have won in this four-game stretch, they have got to the free throw line and shot well from the free throw line as a team. Free points, just saying. And then when you look back at the numbers, they were out-rebounded by one. 23 team assists, not bad. 15 turnovers, so they overcame the turnovers. They overcame 78 points in the paint by the Raptors to win the game. Like I said, the big thing that I noticed was free throws. Like I said, that is a number that has been creeping. The Hawks were a few weeks ago like 29th in free throw attempts per game. They're now 23rd in the NBA. So, like I, I'm going to say this again. If you're not going to be making as many threes and not as great as a three-point shooting team, you're going to have to be more aggressive offensively as a team and get to the free throw line to help you win games and be kind of a stopgap before Bogey comes back. And then you add his three-point shooting and hopefully it improves floor spacing and gives other people opportunities and cleaner looks from three and maybe that number creeps up. But those are the keys right there. Even shot distribution, low turnovers, get to the free throw line, and obviously getting stops and playing defense as a team. 2-2 two two in this stretch since we last recorded. And like I said, you have a big matchup versus Cleveland tonight at 7 p.m. up in Ohio. It's going to be a battle. I cannot wait to see how this Hawks team comes out today after a an exhausting <laughs> Matchup in overtime versus the Toronto Raptors. You already know Donovan Mitchell, Darius Garland, Evan Mobley's been playing well. Hawks are going to have to bring it as a team. It's going to have to be a team effort. We can't get locked into the battle between the backcourts. DeAndre Hunter is going to be an X-Factor tonight, along with, I think, John Collins is going to be an X-Factor tonight as well. Those are the two players that I'm going to be looking at. How many shot attempts are they going to get? How many free throw attempts do each of them get? And where are they getting the ball? Are they getting the ball in spots where they're going to be the most efficient at as far as scoring? Those are the keys to the game tonight. I cannot wait to watch this game. I am off from work tomorrow. So tonight I get to just cut this game on. Just watch them compete. Watch these two teams compete. Like I said, these teams are going to be locking horns all season long. This is a very important season series for the Atlanta Hawks. You have to see if you can steal one on the road tonight versus the Cleveland Cavaliers. So we're going to be back after that game. I'm sure it's going to be a very interesting matchup. So I'm definitely going to be back. Sorry again for the hiatus, but I am back. And if you love what you heard from me today, give us five stars. Give us a good review. Share it and tell everybody about the hottest new podcast covering the Atlanta Hawks. You know, Drill. Share fellow Hawks fans, NBA fans, Georgia sports fans, basketball fans, or just people who just aren't a fan of me. Brad Harden, recording this program. Put them onto the show. Have them give a great review, whether on Spotify, iTunes, wherever you get your podcast at. 
follow us on Twitter at Ethos Hawks. On Twitter, that's at Ethos Hawks. And follow myself at Brad Jared67. That is Brad J A R R E T T67. Both of those accounts on Twitter. We'll catch you guys after this Cavaliers game. And as always, let's go, 